Matthew chapter 6, we are um, obviously continuing through the Sermon on the Mount and um, making our way. We will finish up chapter 6 tonight and then we will uh, move on into uh, the concluding sections in chapter 7 next week. I wanted to just remind us a little about a few things uh, as we get started here. Um, we have been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount as in the subtitle of how we've been looking at this is the lessons on the kingdom of heaven. And of course we started off talking about the Beatitudes, um, you know, the condition of those um, who seek to serve the Lord, the things that they, how they are blessed in their various conditions. And then our Lord talks about the salt and the light, about the usefulness um, of, the, of those in the kingdom. And he goes on to talk about how um, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees if you want to be um, a citizen of the kingdom. And then our Lord talks about, he corrects some teachings that those scribes and Pharisees had been engaged in and sets the record straight and talks a little more about the condition of the heart. Um, and then he comes into chapter 6 and really starts to talk about putting that righteousness into practice. And he talks about praying and fasting uh, and giving alms. You know, there's a certain way to do that. And it, again, has to do with the conditions of the heart. He said this is the way um, man does it and they want to be seen by other men. And that's fine, they have their reward. But you, on the other hand, you need to be doing these things in secret. Um, so it's between you and your God. And that's the righteousness that our Lord is talking about uh, and, and practicing. So we come to the second half, really, of, of chapter 6. Um, and we start talking about, uh, really, how he closes out this section uh, we, we, we can put it in a broad category of the cares of this world. And it begins here in verse 19 of chapter 6, um, when our Lord starts talking about laying up treasures in heaven versus laying up treasures on earth. And again, this is the righteousness that he's been talking about put into practice. And so we'll look tonight at a few things here uh, as we close out chapter 6. So let's do a little bit of reading. Uh, let's go ahead and read um, verses 19 through 24, and then we'll, we'll break that up into a couple of sections. But chapter 6, beginning verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So it's really three sections within this little section that we want to talk about. And the first one is, he's talking about treasures in heaven here in verses 19 through 21. He begins talking about 
treasures in heaven, he says, not to store up treasures on earth. And why is that? Why is it that we don't store up treasures uh, on this earth? And he gives us the reason. This is where moth and rust destroy. This is where thieves break in and steal. This is why these things uh, are subject to deterioration, because they're on earth. And as, as precious as uh, things are, especially uh, the, the things we hold dear, whether the, other, the rest of the world thinks about them as being held dear or not, they're still temporary. And even the things that, on a worldly scale that people hold dear and valuable, precious metals and jewels, those things we'll mention here in a moment um, with, with Peter talking about those things. Even those things are, are temporary. We've been talking about this a lot recently. But our Lord is saying here, don't store those things up to the treasures on earth because they're subject to decay. They're subject to deterioration in this world. But what we need to be storing up for ourselves are the treasures in heaven. And why is that? And it's simply because they're not subject to deterioration. Moth and rust don't destroy those things in heaven. Thieves cannot break in and steal. These are the things that are eternal. Look over in 1 Peter. <clears throat> We've been here in our Sunday morning class. We've been talking about this. It should be fresh in our minds. What Peter talks about... Um, in this conversation about things that are eternal versus things that are temporary. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. And look what he says there at the end, reserved in heaven for you. Doesn't that just echo exactly what our Lord is saying here? Reserved in heaven for you. This is what, when Jesus is talking about storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Now, of course, we understand that we're not uh, shipping gold or, or, or precious metals up to heaven. That's not, at it, that's not it at all. We know what we're talking about here are the, the works that we engage in, the righteous works that we engage in. Those are how we store up those treasures in heaven. And, of course, this means we're talking about in the spiritual realm. We're not talking about physical. We're talking about spiritual. And so the things that we're talking about are eternal. And the, these are not subject uh, to deterioration as things in this world are. So then he asked the question here, um, you know, or, or we can ask the question and phrase it this way, is where is your heart? He says there, um, the, uh, the end of verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is our heart? Is our heart in this world or is it in heaven? And the answer is, hopefully, that's in heaven. Because that's where we're putting our focus. That's where we're putting our energies and our time and effort. Not of the things of this world, but of the things that are in heaven. And so when we do that, wherever our focus is, if our focus is in this world and earthly things, then that's where our heart is. But if our focus is on spiritual things and on doing righteous works in the name of the Father, then our heart's in heaven. So that's the contrast that our Lord is making here.
The next couple of verses, he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. It says there in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. You know, this is an interesting couple of little verses here. And he talks about this. The eye is the lamp of the body. And he says if, if it's clear, then the whole body will be full of light. So what's he talking about in that? Well, we can, we can pretty easily understand what he's talking about here is that the light coming in, what, what, what's coming into our minds and to our hearts, it's not being diminished or compromised. In other words, we need to, to pay attention to what we see because if the things that are coming into our, into our uh, hearts and minds um, are being compromised and being diminished, diminished by what they are, then it's gonna f- that light's going to fill in our whole body actually with darkness. In other words, we've got to be careful about what we see. We've got to pay attention to what we see and make sure that the things coming in are those good and right and proper things. Look in uh, Philippians chapter 4. Paul talks about this in his writing. In Philippians 4 and verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, uh, repute, I'll get that in a minute. If there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. This is how we make sure that what's coming into our, into our bodies is right. Not colored by the eye. Keep the eye clear. Make sure you're focused and, and looking at those kinds of things of good repute. Uh, good and right, um, honorable, pure, excellence, anything worthy of praise. Those are the things that we need to be focused on. And that way we keep that light coming in. And it's not diminished or compromised by our eye. The other side of that is that if, um, if it's bad, then the whole body is going to be in darkness. If whatever's coming in then is is on the other side, is of evil. And it doesn't just um, affect us in our mind and in a way it affects our entire body. Because he says there at the end uh, about how great the darkness is. If, if, if this is it, uh, end of verse 22, how great is the darkness? If this is coming into our bodies, um, it corrupts the whole body. And this idea about darkness, um, you know, sin loves the darkness. Look over there in, in John uh, for just one second. John chapter 3. John uses this in his, in his gospel as he's introducing Jesus coming into the world and talking about the light that comes into the world. He uses that analogy going throughout his gospel about the light. Um, in chapter 3 and verse 19, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. You know, sin loves the darkness. Sin is so often practiced in the darkness, physically, not just metaphorically. We think about crime rates and things that happen. Um, 
drug sales, you know, all those things of this world, a lot of that takes place at night. Because there's a cover of darkness, and the sin loves the darkness. And the opposite of that is light. And Jesus says he came into the world as the light. And men hate, hate um, the light and love the darkness. And this is one, another way to think about it. That darkness is the abode of sin. Darkness is the home of sin. When you have a lot of light in your body, if the things coming in are pure and right, there's no room for the darkness. So that's what he's talking about here when he's talking about keeping your eye clear, making sure the things coming into your, your mind and your spirit are worthy of, of God. Then down to verse 24, we have this little verse here, probably well recognized to us all. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate one and love the other, or you will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon simply means riches or wealth. Uh, that's the Aramaic word that, that usually just gets left in there, but the definition of that is, is riches or wealth. Our Lord is saying you can't serve both. If you're going to serve riches and wealth and you're going to uh, chase after those things, that's the antithesis of God. You can't serve both. It's either one or the other. You can't serve two masters. We either love one and hate the other. We might say in our modern language that you can't have a foot in two camps. You've probably heard that before. And you've probably seen people like this before. Also call them straddling, straddling the fence, you know. They seem to want to be on both sides of the issue. God is saying that you can't do that. Our Lord's saying you can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve one or the other. If you're serving wealth and riches, you're not going to be serving God. It's also thought about, you can think about it in this way. You can't be in the world and in the kingdom at the same time. Look over in 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Again, Paul echoing this kind of sentiment. That you can't uh, be in the world and in the kingdom at the same time. You've got to make a decision. Who are you going to serve? In 2 Corinthians 6, beginning of verse 14... It says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawness, and what fellowship has light with darkness? There's the light and the dark again. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice what it says there in verse 17. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We can't be in the world and in the kingdom at the same time. Paul also talks about that we have to live in this world physically, and that's true, but we can't be of this world. We have to be of the kingdom. We have no relationship between these, these two different camps. It's one or the other. 
back in our text. We have a different section that we come into as we begin in verse 25. I want to read this and then we'll come back and uh, make some observations about this section. And really we can, we can sum this up by saying, be anxious for nothing. You'll see the word anxious uh, throughout this little passage. We talk about anxiety, about the cares of the world. So listen for that as, as we read this, beginning of verse 25 of Matthew 6. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is, life, is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not sow neither do they reap, nor gather in their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you being anxious can, hold, uh, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more do so for you? O men of little faith, do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Be anxious for nothing. Our Lord starts off in this section talking about don't worry about food and clothing. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Now, he says that you know, life is much more than these. Life is more than food and clothing. But it's somewhat paradoxical. That's your big word of the, of the day. Paradoxical. It's somewhat paradoxical because we need food and protection from the elements, don't we? We need, if we go very long without food, we're not going to survive, are we? And although we, we need clothing to, to cover up our bodies and the modesty and all that as well, but the clothing we wear on our bodies protects us from the elements. So we need food. We need clothing. So why is it that our Lord says, don't worry about those things? Well, he's saying it because... God cares for his creation. And he uses the example here of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And he talks about how those lilies of the field were more beautiful than, than Solomon arrayed himself. So while we need the food and the clothing to sustain our lives, and our Lord is saying, don't worry about that, he's saying that because God will provide those things for us. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the lilies in the field. He's going to take care of us. We are the pinnacle of his creation. So if he takes care of these little creatures, how much more so will he take care of us? And he says here, how does worry, can, can your worrying add one cubit to your lifespan? Can you add anything to your life, any length of time to your life by worrying? Really, the opposite is true, isn't it? 
Really, worrying takes, life, takes years off your life. So don't worry about those things. Easy to say, right? It's not always easy to do. But the instructions here are to be anxious for nothing. He talks about the grasses of the field. He says they're growing one day, and next day they're cut down and thrown into the fire. There's a cycle here. The cycle of life that our Lord's alluding to. But won't God do so much more for his children? If, if, he, if he takes care of those grasses and arrays them as such, and the, and the lilies of the valley, or, or the lilies of the field, I got my song mixed up with my text here. If he's going to array them such, and then the next day they're, they're cut down and thrown into the fire, what's he going to do for us? How much more is he going to treat us as the, the height of his creation? And he will. He'll take care of his children. And the lesson is that we should have more faith than that. He says in the midst of this, O you of little faith, O men of little faith. Don't you see? (laughs) Don't you see that the Lord's taking care of the grasses and the lilies? He's going to take so much more care of you. Be anxious for nothing. He goes on to talk about not worrying about food and drink, and clothes. And he says down there, uh, towards the end, verse 32, for all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. You know, these are people, when we see that, our Lord using it in that, in that way, he used it earlier in chapter 6 about those who pray. He says, don't do as the Gentiles do. Don't do as the people in the world do. The people in the world worry about these kind of things what they're going to eat and drink and what they're going to wear. The Gentiles worry about these. You don't. Now, obviously, we, we take care of ourselves. We feed ourselves. We put on clothes. We, we take care. We're, we're stewards of this body that we dwell in. But that can't be the focus of our worry. That can't be the focus of anxiety in our lives. Why? Because the Heavenly Father knows we need these things. He knows we need food, obviously. He created us. He knows we need protection from the elements. And He's going to provide that. But there's a stipulation. There's a stipulation in this. And what is that? That we have to seek Him out. The verse there, verse 33, that we all know so well. Seek first... The kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things shall be added to you. The caveat here is you have to be seeking after God. He's going to take care of you. It doesn't mean that manna is going to fall from the heavens. It doesn't mean that clothes are magically going to appear in your uh, your closet. But it means you're going to be taken care of. You're not going to go hungry. You're not going to go without protection. Some way he will provide for it. And we know how that comes about. We have our brothers and sisters that help us. We have others in the world, family. Those are blessings from God. And that's how he takes care of us. So if we seek him first, then these things will be provided. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to be anxious for these things. God is going to provide these things. 
the last message that we can leave here with tonight is the understanding that don't worry about tomorrow. Live for God today. It says there in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has, its, has enough trouble of its own. You know, there's a, a whole day's worth of trouble tomorrow. And he says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Don't be anxious for that. We got today. Live for God today. Don't be anxious for tomorrow. There's a little bit left in this uh, section about righteousness here in the beginning of chapter 7, which we'll look at next week, about judging others, those kind of things. And then we get down to verse, verse 13, after the end of verse 12, beginning of verse 13, there's going to be a plea to enter into the kingdom and to stay on that path. So he's laying the groundwork here, righteousness that we need to be putting into practice. And then at the end, he's going to make that plea to enter into the kingdom and to stay there. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope we can see how our Lord is, is laying out the argument to become a citizen of the kingdom and what it takes to maintain that. There's a certain level of righteousness that's expected of the citizens of the kingdom. And that righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. If we want to be good citizens of the kingdom, we have to make sure that we are following after God's plan. And doing those things that he has instructed us to do. We offer an invitation at the close of our time here. If you want to turn to number 200. And 83, sorry, 285, 285, Zion's Call. I know that we are all Christians here tonight, but if there's some needs that you might have, uh, prayers that we can offer, anything that we might be able to help you with, um, you can let that be known to the congregation by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.